I've been asked to speak about education in a, in a general format of answering three questions. Uh, first of all is why do we educate? Second of all is what do we teach? And thirdly is how do we teach? And so I'm not going to really answer this in the general sense of why do Christians need to learn or why should we teach anyone anything. We're really talking about in the continuing Anglican church, why should we be teaching people? Secondly, what would we teach logically in a typical continuing Anglican church? And then how should we do that? Um, and so I think we're about ready. Now, uh, the, the talk that Father or that uh, Deacon Perkins was giving about the millennials is something that's interesting because there's a, a call for excellence in the millennial mindset, but I don't think that it just is exclusive to millennials because when people encounter the traditional Anglican church, it oftentimes is a refreshing uh, experience for them because finally something is done in an excellent manner, even if it's done poorly. And I always say, even if your priest is a goofball, the liturgy will hold him roughly on track and when they encounter uh, from a world of sort of, you know, uh, just sort of colloquialisms all around, shortened text languages and, and emojis, you finally encounter an Elizabethan language that you remember from school being a fine and literate uh, means of communication. You find that you're able to pray in a manner that is excellent. Uh, it really opens the floodgates for, I think, more than simply millennials. Uh, there are those that have been, I would say, sort of starving in other uh, denominations that when they come to our doorstep, and as a, an Orthodox priest that I heard on the radio just the other day explained it, when he, was, he went to an evangelical school, the exact same school that I went to, became eventually an Orthodox priest, he said it was as if they were playing one note, and I wanted to hear a chord didn't even know I wanted to hear a chord until I heard a chord. And then it was as if I could never go back to the single note. Well, now that we have a chord in this church, we have to do the chord in an excellent manner. And so, why do we teach? Uh, there is a new demographic in many of our churches, and I understand maybe not in all of our churches, but the people that are coming to us are oftentimes tired out with paper-thin uh, expressions of the Christian faith. And uh, for that matter, the continuing church exists as a reaction, in a sense, to theological drift. So if the church has been theologically drifting in the 60s and 70s, and others are finding that their churches now have nothing to do with whatever happened in the Episcopal Church in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, their churches are drifting now. And they've never, been, never heard of Anglican, but they've heard that these people exist against theological drift, then they come into our churches and they're refreshed. We take the name continuing because of the drift of the Episcopal Church, but not everybody's ever been to the Episcopal Church. I had no real uh, qualm with the Episcopal Church when I found Anglicanism. I had a qualm with Evangelicalism when I found Anglicanism. It had nothing to do with the Episcopal Church. So when I was introduced to ancient wounds of the Episcopal Church, it really had, I didn't even know what you're talking about. I, I, I am hearing the single note, and I finally heard a chord. That's why I'm here. Uh, but we, we uh, are a church that is, in a sense, founded to preserve and retain orthodoxy. Now, uh, the, the, the ethos of the continuing Anglican church is, that, uh, is such that 
we have to essentially uh, rediscover orthodoxy for ourselves because the, the, the huge national church has, has abandoned and there is no magisterium that we turn to to teach us orthodoxy. We have to teach it ourselves. We have to learn it again ourselves. We must understand it and teach orthodoxy ourselves. So when people first encounter our church, they may not know that they're encountering orthodoxy, theological orthodoxy, but they do sense something in the reverence and the literateness of the liturgy. Uh, and they understand something of what we say, lex orandi, lex credendi. The law of prayer is the law of belief. What are we praying? There's a way to teach uh, that is an excellent way to teach. And you can begin, you can use the liturgy, and I'm going to suggest you know, several different ways and things that you can, that you can teach. One, way to, one brilliant way, I think, to start in, in a class is to simply walk through the liturgy. And there's a bunch of ways you can do that. Uh, but I will say this, if we are a church that preaches uh, that we believe in orthodoxy, but we don't know what orthodoxy is, that's the problem. And this is the hard work of the clergy, okay? So if we are a church that says, you know, well, we believe in the three creeds, and you can't name them. We're a church that believes in the seven ecumenical councils, and couldn't name them. Uh, we are a church that believes in the scriptures, have no idea how many books of the Old Testament, New Testament, not real sure. Uh, we are a church uh, that believes in the church fathers. Who? Which church fathers? What writings? When? We're a church that believes in the ancient theology of the church. What ancient theology? Do you know ancient theology? So there is some hard work there for the clergy, uh, but this is, a, this is a church where we need to 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 take advantage of an opportunity that's being presented to us right now. And I think that is that I'll, as the churches uh, are sort of going the way of the Episcopal Church in a sense abandoning a, 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 an, an orthodoxy, people will sense when they come into our church that there is something here and we have an awesome opportunity to provide it. But it's going to take some work. Education is key to that. In my uh, opinion, we have to understand not only why we're preserving orthodoxy, but what orthodoxy is. We're a church that is proud to stand against theological liberalism, and we are a church that is proud to believe in the scriptures. When you find uh, people set foot inside the parish, uh, they will say something like, I've never heard so much scripture uh, in a service in my life. It's loaded with scripture, and even a Baptist will say, you know, there's something here. Uh, there's something good about this. Uh, and so I will say, as we're talking about education, if your church does not have a Bible study, that's square one. Got to have a Bible study. So before you have a class on the seven ecumenical councils or something like that, if you don't have a Bible study, start there. There's your class, Bible study. Um, but there is a way to teach a Bible study that I think can tie in very well. Uh, a, a course that I would call Scripture and Liturgy uh, will take some work from the clergy, but you can walk through the Liturgy of Holy Communion and use the Liturgy itself, knowing that probably 80% of the words of the Liturgy are taken from Scripture, and just go to Scripture from the Liturgy. You hit two birds with one stone. That's a brilliant class. Uh, just about anybody can do it um, because uh, you can find books uh, that will help you through it. You'll find clergy that will help you through it. 
but you can start on, uh, well, let's see, what, what, what's the first page? I should know this. First page of Holy Communion, page 67, begins with the Lord's Prayer, preparation of the clergy before the service. Fantastic place to start your scripture in liturgy course. Double whammy. There's your Bible study, and there's an introduction to the reason that people have probably come to your church in the first place. Uh, while, there, while there are many books, uh, like, uh, you know, all kinds of things you can find in Lifeway bookstores, if you can find a Lifeway bookstore anymore, all those uh, places will sell you Bible study books to walk through the Bible. I can almost guarantee you it has nothing to do with traditional Anglicanism, and oftentimes we'll teach a theology that doesn't really match our theology. This is the hard work. Uh, it, it may be that you have to create a course, and I think that's where a lot of this is going. We have uh, some folks have done some hard work uh, preparing a, liturgy or a, a class, uh, Sunday school curriculum for children, uh, but you know your adults, you know your congregation, and you may have to create a course for them. Uh, and I guarantee you they'll eat up uh, a class on scripture in liturgy. Everybody who's ever uh, converted from the Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian church to traditional Anglicanism, they will be so proud to go home for Christmas. And when someone says, why did you ever switch to traditional Anglicanism? Uh, why are you in uh, St. Swithin's church and so-and-so? You could be at the Rock Baptist Church. <laughs> why would you trade such a thing? And you, and you can explain that we pray the scriptures. It's very compelling. And uh, they may not want to admit it, but they say, boy, I wish we prayed the scriptures. That sounds great. I want to visit your church sometime. Uh, we're proud of our belief in scriptures. We must have Bible studies. If you don't have anything else, you've got to have a Bible study. Start with that. We're, we're proud of our commitment to Orthodox liturgy. Therefore, we must teach about the liturgy, hence scripture and liturgy. A class also, once you're through with uh, the scriptural basis and rationale of liturgy, you could easily teach a course on morning and evening prayer. Scripture and liturgy, the, the, the rationale of morning and evening prayer, which begins with a very uh, incredible, wonderful theme. The very fact that we have morning and evening prayer is the effort of the church to return the spiritual life to the people, to the common person. It's no longer the professional Christian in the monastery, but it's you before you go to work. You, when you come after work, uh, when you come home, you've got the offices. And uh, you can do a Bible study through morning and evening prayer. That's another opportunity uh, to focus on the excellence that's already present in the liturgy. It's already excellent. You don't have to do anything with it. You just have to mine it for all the gold that's in there and teach from that. A class, uh, so that's uh, a class on uh, scripture and liturgy for communion, for your offices. You could do an easily a class about all the rest of our liturgical practices, theology and scripture. And you can even walk people through the church calendar, show them how the scriptures relate to the church calendar. The life of Christ is being lived out in our calendar every year from the Annunciation, March 25th, through uh, the, incarn the Advent and the Incarnation at Christmas, the life of Christ, all the way through to his Ascension. You can uh, do a class on the church calendar and scripture in the life of Christ. You, you're, you tie them both together. You've got traditional Anglicanism, uh, church history, and Bible all in one. Uh, you're going to have to create that class 
I don't know where that is in a book. If you found it in a book, it probably wouldn't follow the traditional Anglican uh, liturgy or our calendar. So you'd have to you'd have to work hard on augmenting someone else's work anyway. Uh, so he said it's going to take hard work. I concur. It is going to take hard work. Now I have I have done all the things that I'm telling you about. Uh, this is the speech of a clergyman who's telling you you should do it like me whatever there's no other way to teach this so (laughs) if you don't want to do it like me then okay but uh, I have some experience in putting courses like this together that have been successful if you are interested I can talk to you about uh, what I've done at St. George anyway you know we are proud of our commitment to the theology of the ancient church we have a saying that we like to say lex arandi lex credendi uh, the prayer uh, the law of prayer is the law of belief. But if you don't know what the ancient church is, you're going to have a problem. If you don't know how to teach it, it's just sort of a... What do you call that? Um, anyway, it's just a thing we say. There's nothing really behind it. And I think that when, not only when a millennial, but when a Presbyterian who knows his Bible comes to your church and he finds out that you brag about the ancient church but don't know what that means you're going to run up on a problem. So there's some work to be done. Uh, Two things especially, uh, three things especially. A class on the ancient creeds of the church. You can easily do scripture in the creeds. That's that's no problem. Uh, A class naturally divides itself. Nicene, apostles, Athanasian creeds. Um, The ancient church, uh, the seven ecumenical councils. Now there's a class that naturally divides itself into courses, right? Uh, you've got seven. So you're either going to have a nine-session uh, course, introduction, conclusion, and one class for every ecumenical council, or you're going to have a 16-session class, two sessions for every ecumenical council, an introduction and a conclusion. The, the seven ecumenical councils naturally divide themselves into a course that would take roughly a semester. If you've got 16 classes... Well, that'll get you about from the beginning of September to roughly Christmas, somewhere in there. That's a, a perfect class. You get somebody to help you, take a breath, and uh, take a break over Christmas and start something else uh, in the spring. Um, a class on heresy is a fantastic uh, idea. There's a, there's a way to teach heresy that helps you to learn orthodoxy. I think anytime you study heresy... You learn orthodoxy. As you study heresy, you can study the progression of the seven ecumenical councils. Each ecumenical council is addressing some heresy. So you can go first through the ecumenical councils and then go back and teach heresy. So, and I always think it's great to have a class called heresy, and then you can come and say that your your priest teaches heresy. (laughs) But uh, that's another one that you can break down into you know, six or seven basic major Christian heresies, and from those teach orthodoxy. Meanwhile, they're learning who is Arius, who was Nestorius, how was that addressed in the Third Ecumenical Council? Why do we use the Nicene Creed, which was formed in Nicaea, the first council of Nicaea? How does that address Arianism? How is it that we pray the destruction of Arianism at all of our liturgies. It's bad for you to not know what Arianism is because we're praying it 
Every time we say God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Why are those phrases there? To destroy Arianism, and Arianism is a heresy. And so we're, uh, we're, we're teaching orthodoxy as we pray. A class on heresy uh, is, is a great way to help to understand orthodoxy. I will say that we're proud of our familiarity with the ancient tradition and the church fathers. So here's another opportunity for us to, uh, to introduce people to something that is a part of the Anglican tradition, is a, a, a valuation of the church fathers. I'll say there's a couple logical ways to do this. Uh, first is when you do a Bible study, it's possible for you to do a Bible study using a commentary of one of the ancient uh, church fathers. So uh, real logical is if you're going to do a, do a Bible study in the book of John, and use the commentaries of St. Augustine and Cyril of Alexandria. It's, bam, right there on the internet, it's free. Uh, they go chapter and verse, uh, side by side. If you hit something you don't understand, skip it. Use a quote that you do understand. Uh, we're focusing on John 1, and St. Athanasius says such and such uh, in his controversy with Pelagius, or something like that. And suddenly we've got, we're defeating a heresy, we're encountering the church fathers, and we're delving into St. John at the same time. Bam, there's a way to do a Bible study. What's that chef that says bam? I just said bam. Emerald. <laughs> I said bam. Anyway, anyway, so uh, there are ways that you don't have to say, oh my goodness, how am I going to do all of these things? You can actually mash all of these things into one. Do your Bible study along with, uh, and there's a, there's a series called... The Commentary on Scripture of the Ancient Fathers. What is it? The Ancient Christian Commentary of the Church Fathers. And it takes Bible uh, chapter and verse, commentary on the Scripture. The, the compilers don't put any of their own spin on it. They just take chunks of quotes from the Church Fathers. It's a good place to start, and you could even finish there. But if you, if you read something from Athanasius on chapter, uh, John chapter 1, and you want to read more... It's online. Just go online, look up Athanasius and read what else, or St. Augustine and read what else he said about it. There's a way to teach a Bible study where you don't have to simply take what, uh, what some modern scholar or, or, or Presbyterian publishing house has printed in the last 10 years. Just go back to a collection of what the church fathers say, and as you're reading the chapters, you read a quotation of the church father and you stop for discussion. Um, that can be a very helpful way for uh, traditional Anglicans and those that are, have been so attracted to the excellence of our liturgy to find that there's not only excellence in verbiage, uh, we have Elizabethan-style uh, language in our liturgy, but there's also a connection to the ancient church. It's a fascinating thing for a person uh, who comes from a church that really doesn't pay attention to history to recognize that we still believe exactly the same thing that Athanasius was teaching in the 4th century. That, uh, that is the, the foundation of, of the Nicene Creed that we use every Sunday or every Eucharist. Uh, people, uh, once they get a taste for that rootedness, will oftentimes be able to put up with all kinds of weirdness of a little church, you know. Uh, we... We, my wife and I, when we first came to a traditional Anglican church, there were no young families with children, like the old story. And so we basically decided, well, 
we're the young family with children. So when someone else comes, now they can say, there's a young family with children there. But uh, the idea of, well, they don't have stuff for kids, so we're going to go back to the single-note evangelicalism. Heck no. There's no way I'm going back. I can't. I heard the chord. So, so anyhow, um, when we're talking about uh, our belief and our, our, our faith in the church fathers, uh, it, it's, a, it's a good idea sometimes to use those ancient Christian commentaries. And if you're a clergyman especially, you need to uh, uh, get your, get your uh, church history helmet on because there are some things in those commentaries that are wild and woolly. Your average parishioner does not need to hear the wild and woolly. They need to hear the orthodox. So they will include quotes from Nestorius, the, the, the famous heretic. And uh, you need to understand, sometimes quoting Nestorius in your Bible uh, lesson isn't, isn't the greatest. But that, that's where the work really uh, comes in. We are proud of our identity as Anglicans. Uh, people will understand something of what it means that I now go to an Anglican church. Uh, but it, it's, it's helpful to continue to feed the information uh, you can do a course on the history of the Book of Common Prayer itself. Where do these colics come from? Which ones were written by uh, uh, Thomas Cranmer? Which ones were taken from from uh, taken from a, a, a sacramentary of of Gregory the Great or something like that? And you can easily find the answer to those. It helps for the church to know that our, in our Anglican tradition, we didn't create everything in the 16th century. Actually, we're praying prayers. Church has always been praying. It's a wonderful thing. Um, and th- I'll, I'll give you an answer. Uh, so we have, we have talked about several things that you, that you could teach if we're trying to do uh, what we've been talking about, which is essentially setting a buffet out before starving Christians who come into your church and they're first fed by the liturgy and the sacraments. But we say it's more than that. There's tons more. So uh, how do we uh, load up this buffet? We have courses on liturgy. They're not all offered at once, but you're creating them as you go. A course on scripture and liturgy, uh, communion, morning and evening prayer. You can have courses that have to do with the ancient church, the seven ecumenical councils, a course on heresy and orthodoxy, courses on the creeds. Uh, introducing folks to the church fathers in the midst of our Bible studies. But uh, sometimes I find what has uh, been very helpful at St. George, and not everybody has to do this, of course, but I develop a course um, from the questions of the congregation themselves. So I call it Answers for Anglicans, and we've done three rounds of this already. And what I do is I, I say in, in two months, we're starting Answers for Anglicans, which means start asking or writing down on a piece of paper or emailing to me the thing you've always wondered about the Anglican Church, the thing you've always wondered about the Catholic Church. Why does the priest do that thing that he always does? Why does he wear that thing? Why do we say this word? Why is there that collect on Easter that has the word prevent, that the Holy Spirit would prevent us? Uh, it, uh, and when you collect people's uh, questions. I usually get about 30 to 36 questions. 
They sometimes are repeat questions. Transubstantiation always comes up. Do Anglicans believe in transubstantiation? Also, what is transubstantiation? <laughs> I find that's always a good day. Uh, you can collect from people their questions and uh, group them together into themes and create a syllabus posted on the wall and encourage people to read that syllabus saying the question that you asked I'm going to answer for the whole class so be there on the day that we answer the question that you asked everyone's already invested in the class because they're the ones that ask the questions. So if you ask the question, made me research it and put a PowerPoint together, and then you decided to eat donuts and sleep in that day, don't come crying to me about how you don't understand transubstantiation. I did a whole class on it. Where were you? So people become quite invested in the Answers for Anglicans idea. Uh, I, I will say, as we're, we're coming to the third portion, we've done why do we teach, we've done what do we teach, and we're going to talk about how do we teach. I've already mentioned, in my humble opinion, I think you're going to have to, this is for clergy, you're going to have to create classes. The idea of, of searching through Lifeway bookstores to find that book that just has everything. If you find it, I'd love to see it, because I don't think it exists. <laughs> Uh, most of the time you will not find a book that will just carry you through and keep everyone's attention. Uh, and oftentimes I'll say, I spend more time on Sunday school than on sermon. And maybe that's heretical and bad, but I spend more time preparing Sunday school, which is about 45 minutes, than the sermon, which is about 15. And it better be good if it's longer than 15. But uh, the sermon is fantastic. But I guard that Sunday school hour because that's the only time that I've got a room full of adults that are just soaking in ancient theology, uh, liturgy, uh, understanding heresy, discovering oftentimes that they are heretics. And I don't mean that to be funny. Uh, you'll sit in a Bible study where someone will say, I always thought that at Christmas that's when Jesus was, or that's when the second person of the Trinity was created. And you think... Jeez, okay, well this is a person that's been in the church their whole lives and they're in their 70s now and no one ever taught them what we're saying in the Nicene Creed. I mean, that's Arianism. Uh, okay, if you don't find that to be an important distinction, then you're in the wrong room. Uh, that's important. So you gulp and don't flinch and say, well, we're going to learn it today then. Uh, but um, You'll, you'll find that in a class on heresy, you'll find a lot of people discover that they are heretics and will be very glad, hopefully, to return to the Orthodox Church. Uh, in creating classes, that's just the way um, it's done. I've already talked a little bit about how to teach or how to teach in terms of dividing up curriculum. Uh, there are some things you can teach that, are, that logically separate themselves. Seven ecumenical councils. Uh, pick pick five or six of the ancient heresies, teach on those. Uh, the uh, three uh, creeds, Nicene, Apostles, and Athanasian. Um, walking through Holy Communion liturgy and just get how far you get on that day. Because people will say, when they come to the Prayer of Humble Access, you got material there for your whole life to talk about in the Prayer of Humble Access. All the theology you need is right there. 
to preach the gospel to people and point them to, to scripture and, and the, the his, history of the church and everything. I just go as far as I can go when I do a class on that. Um, so looking for logical divisions will help you to compartmentalize in your mind what am I teaching today. Um, the last thing I'll talk about in terms of how to teach, uh, there's probably a... I guess it exists. There's probably uh, different schools of thought on PowerPoint. Um, some people hate PowerPoint. And other people love PowerPoint. So um, I'm going to just say that I create a presentation for every class. As a clergyman, it helps for, for two things and hurts for about two things, too. The part that it helps is if you ever have to teach this class again, bam, it's right there. Or if you do a really good job teaching the class and Father So-and-so from such-and-such -such says, do you have materials that I could use to teach that course? And you have this whole neat package of PowerPoints along with audio and all that kind of stuff. That's very helpful. Um, the problem with this, I will say, is number one, it costs it's more work for you. Uh, and sometimes if the discussion begins to go in, in a direction you weren't expecting, you have to cut it off to go back to your PowerPoint. Where if you didn't have a PowerPoint, you could just go that way. And sometimes I find I have to cut a question off and get back to the PowerPoint because I didn't foresee the class going that direction. So if you're going to do a PowerPoint, you can potentially, you know, uh, think of a way to make it more flexible. But in Answers for Anglicans, day four, someone says, what is, or do Anglicans believe in transubstantiation? Also, what is transubstantiation? So I would have a, a, a basic, this is the question for the day. Uh, I'm going to answer these sub-questions and then start answering the sub-questions. First of all, how did the earliest Christians talk about the Eucharist before any disputation began? Um, and I've got quotes and, and uh, discussion from St. Ignatius of Antioch, the, the Didache, St. Irenaeus, Liturgy of St. James. I've got some things already I'm ready to say about before there ever was a discussion on transubstantiation. So when you're doing something like this, Answers for Anglicans, slide in these church fathers, slide in the history of the church. Um, I just think that if, if we simply go to Bible bookstore Bible studies, people will starve on that, and they'll wish that this was over so they could go and do the liturgy now, because that's good stuff. And the Bible study is okay. It's, I mean, I don't know. I, I think you can do a lot of good stuff in a in a in just sort of a standard uh, Bible bookstore Bible study, I'm sure. But uh, if we've got, if we know the reason people walked in the door, I think we should find a way to cater to that. If people are starving, we've got to give them the nourishment and the food. So that's all I have to to say about education. That was a a, a little storm of education for you there. Our education discussion. I think the next thing is supposed to happen is questions. Is that right? Yeah, I was just going to say one thing because um, I'm, you know, I'm a baby deacon. Uh, this is my fifth baby season, deacon. so just barely, uh, you know, barely coming into it. One of the things I, I think I've learned, uh, and one of the reasons, one of the things that we sort of noticed as we were planning for this, 
is, is that often there's a lot of reinventing the wheel happening at the same time, right? Like Father Paul's doing all this awesome stuff, and then you're over there, you know, doing the same work, you know, and, and, and so one of the things that we're trying to do uh, with Father Sean's going to talk about this more. It's, it's called Earth and Altar, earthaltar.org. You'll get the info. And that's just supposed to be a website that has resources for this kind of stuff. So there'll be a button at the top, a drop down menu that says education. You click on it, there's clergy education, youth education, adult education. And it's not finished because what we're going to do is we're going to steal all the work Father Paul's been doing. That kind of thing. We're going to ask uh, clergy to say, what have you already done? And then we're going to kind of create a curated resource list. So if you're like, I want to do something on the seven, it's not there now, but we absolutely will have stuff on the seven ecumenical councils that, so that you can have a starting place. You're still going to have to do the work, right? Like you saw his PowerPoint. He's got uh, four things listed for how the early, how they talked about the Eucharist in the early church. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I know what, what the liturgy of St. James says about you. So you're still going to have to do your work. But you have a framework, right, that can be really helpful. So that website, I think, will be really helpful so that, you know, you don't have everybody trying to do the same thing and not benefiting from each other's work. And you, yeah. yeah, like that kind of thing. So what I'm intending to do once I remove all of the images that I stole from Google and probably illegal to <laughs> disseminate, which I'll have to go back to, hopefully something like this will be available, like a course on the First Ecumenical Council. Uh, anyway, that's the kind of thing. Would you say the name of that website slow enough for us to write So it's called earthalter.org, but, Earth but in about, I can get there right now. In about five minutes, I'm really, I'm not sure Father Sean's going to like them doing it. We're going to hand these out to everybody, okay. oh, the name okay. and the website. Okay. So, um, anything else? I'm going to put earthalter.org up on the screen. Yeah, we're going to do that too. So, so oh, well, I'm the, stealing someone's You guys get the early sneak well, a lot of them aren't, but so we are. One of the things we're going to have to try to do is, is we're going to be going through and making sure that we're not breaking the law. Um, but, but a lot of stuff is public domain. Yeah, we have. Um, what time is it? Uh, we, have, we have about 12 minutes for questions for Father Paul. Anyway, that's then, what the website looks like. like. I said, I'm a baby deacon. I can see there's a lot more like experience going here. So if you have questions, Right. Most of you have been, uh, or some of you have far more experience than I do, so I, I was just asked to do this. So there you go. You can either ask me or talk amongst yourselves, but uh, uh, we're supposed to ask for discussion. So anyone? Yes. Well, you'll have to ask these guys. It's their website. Why does resource mall? Why does it have two, two S's? It's, it's French. It's French. Uh, yeah. It's an old, it's, a, it's French okay. for going back to the sources and just is talking about how in the 20th century um, there was a return to the sources, which is exactly what Father Paul is talking about, which is instead of maybe looking at, well, what did you know some Presbyterian write in 2003 about the topic? What did the fathers write about the topic? It's about going back to the sources. It's because Father Spencer invented it. So. <laughs> I had to put resource small. <laughs> anyway, any other? Yes, please, Vince. So I heard you talk about uh, 45 minutes on Sunday. Right. Class. <clears throat> Tell me about uh, if you have classes during the week. Right. And 
They've discovered this too in Virginia. This is just the way I do it. I've discovered that if I say potluck, people scatter at my church. Nobody wants to bring food for whatever reason. Potluck doesn't work at my church. And also, uh, so-and-so, why don't you make enough food for everyone? That really doesn't work. So, but what does work at my church is 45 minutes between services. Right. Now, it doesn't work... Uh, in in uh, Charlottesville, what does work is a Wednesday night meal and a class, just like what you're talking about. Um, so, this is where he, he talked a little bit earlier about whatever I say is not going to work one for one at every church, and I probably should be doing more of what they're doing, but I just am doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, and and of, oftentimes also, I mean, I I go from the first service to teaching the class to the second service, and it's a little. Uh, much. It's a little much, but I'm not giving up that Sunday school time because that's when I've got a room oftentimes full of hungry people. I'm not going to hand that to somebody else. I guard that. So uh, I wind up being beat. Not every church has service times or people that are interested enough to just show up for Sunday school. So if you throw in some pizza and beer or whatever, a, a potluck, uh, what's that? In the middle of the week. Yeah, in the middle of the week, it's, it's possible that you may get a, a, that may work, yeah, that way, a little bit better. We've had great success with Wine and Wisdom on Wednesdays. And That's good. We'll do six weeks on, uh, on the creeds or we'll do five weeks on Islam or just, just a bunch of topics and just keep going and going and going. So I'm listening to this presentation and realizing I probably need to do something like that, like some sort of a, a potluck or, or monthly meal and throw some kind of class in there too. But, but, uh, you can get, uh, you can get Matt Hartley, he's an artist, and he does a, probably the, the, the best class we've ever had, one that's received the most comments is when Matt brings uh, uh, paintings in, puts them up on the screen, and explains to us why the, the artist painted the way he did. Yeah. Freeze Freeze and uh, so that's what we do on, white, on Wednesday nights. Okay. Great turnout, great turnout, potluck supper. Um, we have uh, mass at six o'clock, dinner from 6.30 to seven, education from seven to eight with a nursery, and then, and then dismiss. Iconography is a great way to teach. Um, one thing we did for a while, I'm trying to find it here, I can't find it. Anyway, when I was teaching heresy, um, we used the, the image of the Christus Rex. Okay, So you have Christ on the cross with the crown wearing a Eucharistic vestment. That image in itself defeats Arianism, it defeats Nestorianism, it defeats Eutychianism, it expresses the theology of the Nicene Creed, because he's incarnate, he's crucified, he's resurrected, he's ascended, he's the king, he's the great high priest, he's everything in one, in that image. So that's another way. I mean, you could start and say, we're going to do a course on iconography, and really, secretly, you're teaching orthodoxy in the midst of iconography. That's great. So...
Yes, Tom. Kind of like centers of excellence. Mm -hmm. Are they going to have a, 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 a league for the diocese? In other words, someone who's, who's responsible for that area for, for trying to catch the information or encourage well, people to submit to that? Yeah, there's a, there's a, I think probably Sean's on it, where there's like a submit, you know, a here's where you can submit kind of thing. Right now it's just curated by the clergy at All Saints. Primarily, it's going to be Father Sean uh, and his wife, who's our parish director. Parish director is going to be going to see the wedding too from your church. Um, she's done a lot of the work for it. Um, so that's kind of what our vision is. We're not sure how that'll go. There'll be how that'll develop. There'll be a blog too, so there can be kind of a question and answer session. But our, our goal is that it's a resource for just this kind of thing for you, for your parish. So uh, we hope you'll use it. Um, we hope it'll be helpful. That's like that's sort of the goal. Like, hey, I want to do a parish meal. Like we're talking about it here, but the logistics: do you do potluck? Do you do potluck? Do you have assignments? You can do assignments. You know, and how does that work? And you know, works a particular way in our parish, but it's different in, in other parishes and that kind of thing. So that's that's kind of the idea. Um, but again, Father Sean, who's really running it under Father Glenn's direction, uh, will we'll say more. Well, that sounds great, but but it almost seems to be like. What would be additionally useful would be to have someone, in, in the same way that we pick four people to lead these sessions, to have someone uh, select. Maybe there's maybe there could be a diocese standing committee about these centers of excellence, and have leaders choose one and have them put the energy. I mean, it's, he needs czars. <laughs> you need czars, like Czar Nicholas. Anyway. Educations are anyway. What, what you're saying is that maybe the, the diocese should have someone who's in charge of making sure that we have resources for excellent education. Yeah, I and mean, have someone who who has the, the, the vision in, in the area of education right. who can say this is really good. I want to make sure everybody gets this. Right. Or uh, and if you find something excellent, you know who to call to say you should put this book on the what? Yeah, because we don't have that right now. Yeah. 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 You know, and and I was um, I just rolled off the standing committee, but I was pleased that we are finally going to get some policies and procedures with respect to some um, you know with like um, oh accounting and the money and that kind of thing. We're finally going to get some policies and procedures so everybody does it the same way. And I could say that I was in Charlottesville for a seminar, which I thought was.
of our Christian life together with it. Or at least yeah. these four. There's nothing about how to do synod. Yeah. yeah. But that's sort of a, a, emblematic of, of uh, a problem in the past that maybe we can fix in the future. Because I do know that other people that have run synods have put the, the magic binder together. And then the magic binder goes on the shelf. And the next people that run a synod don't want the binder. They want to recreate the whole thing. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. You, and you should. But it's helpful to see, you know, oh, somebody does it this way. Eh, I don't like that exactly, but, you know. Right, yeah. How long do we go? Or, or, yeah, please. Just a, a, a question that, or an observation, probably, that I find that a lot of having children, millennials, that, um, and people that come to the Anglican Church, not of the, our tradition, or of even, you know, a Catholic tradition, right. come from baptism or yeah. brethren, mm-hmm. um, we see that they're programmed to death. So my fear yeah. is that Sunday schools, you know, we're starting to create that same kind of program approach to church. And we have an objection by, uh, you know, some recent people that came and uh, came from those backgrounds, and they they want that life in Christ. It's a millennial, I might be wrong, but it's what uh, we heard earlier about millennials wanting that excellent and living the life that... Um, you know, the church, being part of the church as a living body, right. not as programs. Do, do well, you know what I'm saying? Well, I will say this, uh, at least in my church, it, it, uh, not all millennials are interested in attending Sunday school no matter what I teach. Right. But they do like to come to the Eucharist. Yes. And I always tell people, because you come out of our, uh, of our whatchamacallit, come out of the, of the Eucharist, the nave, and you can turn right to the parking lot or left to the coffee and Sunday school. You can turn whatever way you want to turn. Uh, turn right, go to the parking lot, and go home. That's, that's not ideal, but you, at least you're fed. And that's fine with me. We provided an excellent liturgy and the body and blood of Christ, uh, the grace of the sacrament, and go have brunch. That's fine. Uh, so I don't require anybody to attend or something like that, but I find that if you don't offer anything... That's not good. I like it that yeah. it's focused towards Anglican, yeah. you know, towards the thought, yeah. the whole life and, and the process of being uh, you know, yeah. part of the body of Christ. Someone and who comes from Brethren. And then you applications yeah. right after. Yeah. Right. You say, well, how does that look like? Right, like someone who came from Brethren didn't do a study on St. Francis de Sales. Right. They never heard of it. Right. So they'll come, they'll sit in, they'll say, they'll take it or leave it. And you can apply it however you want. But anyway, I think we're done. We are done. Yes. You know, I find that they want to.